You're listening to Key Conversations for Leaders. This is episode number 18. Welcome, everybody. In today's episode, we'll be discussing how to build diversity and inclusion with Dr. Steve Iacovelli. We'll be covering the three reasons why organizations need diversity and inclusion, identifying our own unconscious biases, how to handle microaggressions, and how to create buy-in for long-lasting organizational change, and much, much more. In times of great change, we need great leaders. Those willing to step up, to take responsibility, to create a vision, and inspire others to join them in fulfilling that vision. A key part of that is having conversations with yourself and those you lead. That's what this show is about. Better conversations for better leaders. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Key Conversations for Leaders. I'm your host, John Ryan, and today we have a very special guest, Dr. Steve Iacovelli. Steve is owner and principal of Top Dog Learning Group, LLC, a learning and development leadership, change management, and diversity and inclusion consulting firm based in Orlando, Florida. Steve and Top Dog have worked with Fortune 500 companies, including the Walt Disney Company and Bayer, as well as nonprofits such as the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the American Library Association. With over 25 years of experience in leadership, strategy, organizational learning, and communication, Steve applies academic theory to create real business results. Welcome to the show, Steve. Well, thank you so much, John. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for being here. And I wanted to start by asking you, you know, why is it? Because a lot of your work is around diversity inclusion. Why is it that organizations struggle with this idea of diversity and inclusion? Yeah, I, I don't think organizations kind of set out to be exclusive by design. You know, they're not like you know, ha ha, twirling the uh, mustache kind of thing. But I think it's kind of how humans operate. And if we don't keep it in check, then it kind of starts getting into this this uh, exclusiveness that happens. You know, as, as pack animals, as humans, um, we are gravitate toward people like us. And that's a safety mechanism because, you know, back in our cave days, our uh, ancestors, when they saw someone different, it could be threat. So, you know, flash, flash forward to the 21st century, we tend to gravitate toward people who are like us. You know, there's the phrase like, likes, like, and it's because we build that rapport and it's easier and it's comfortable and it's safety. But if we, uh, if we don't let our unconscious bias kind of take over that, uh, then, then the, the problem is that we tend to keep gravitating toward the, the folks similar to us and, and not include the other and the other is just the person not like you. So I don't think organizations, um, set out to be exclusive, but they don't have that mindfulness to be consciously inclusive. And I think that's where, where it starts to get into trouble, especially from that senior leadership perspective. So it sounds like there might be that a deep fear rooted in in our biology and our programming, and there has to be an intention, perhaps, to mm-hmm. overcome that unconscious bias. Otherwise, you're going to be making decisions, and this happens across race, gender. Insert demographics here. I mean, you, insert you, actually, here, yeah. you, you even see people having um, having unconscious bias toward people of different different um, or who went to different schools or university or different departments within businesses as well. You're like, oh, you know how all those sales folks are, oh, all those accountants are so stodgy. And you know, like you, you see that play out with those stereotypes kind of coming in. And, and I like how you said that intention has to be there to kind of stop the, that stereotype and jumping in and really being mindful of, of the differences that we have and really embracing them. 
So there's really is a safety thing. Like we, there's safety in numbers and people who are like us, we, we tend to like. And so if we have that intention, we can overcome that. What is the end result? So when you go in, I imagine you bring in awareness, mindset, um, principles. What is that? diversity-focused, inclusion-focused organization really look like in the end? Uh, it's a great question. And, and I think um, if I take a step back and what I've seen with organizations either we've worked with or, or, or uh, you know, we, we help out, um, there's really three things that they, they that are really telltale signs that they are truly an inclusive organization. So the first is, is the diversity of people. And, and to your, your exact point, um, diversity means a lot of things. It, it's not just, um, you know, diversity to us is, is the many similarities and differences of people, period. So it's, yes, sure, it's it's race, ethnicity, gender, uh, sexual orientation, physical ability, gender identity. Like those are kind of what we call like uh, the uh, internal dimensions. If you use Garden Schwartz and Rose, um, really awesome model on how to understand and define diversity. But then it's other pieces of it. It's looking at personality type um, and making that as a, a focus of differences uh, in the workplace or diversity. Looking at things like my marital status, my parental status, my education, my physical appearance, those all are contributing factors to what makes every single one of us a shiny you know shiny unicorn uniqueness that is us and then uh, and then things like our, our role within the organization um, you know I, I'm in accounting I'm in marketing um, I've been here for 20 years I've been here for two minutes um, oh I was part of that that merger and acquisition that happened so that's kind of the the lens I'm coming through things so first of all is looking at the, the the makeup of the people and seeing just this great diversity I think the second thing that you see uh, with folks is um, there's conversations about inclusion and, and inclusion. Uh, and one of my really good friends, when I worked at Disney, uh, it said it to me best. And, and she said, you know, diversity is being asked to the dance while inclusion is being asked to dance. So it's the difference between just what, letting someone in the door versus having them actively participate in the environment and the culture and helping shape that. And so smart organizations, they don't just have um, you know, a diverse group. They actually engage those uh, diverse individuals and get their perspective and have them you know, be actively in the dance, if you will. And, and that's a really big, massive telltale sign of a successful organization. But then the third layer, and this is a fairly new area that folks are exploring, especially in the diversity and inclusion consulting space, and it's the concept of belonging. So, so what, what this is doing is shifting it around and making it about the employee or the member of the organization. And so it's that, that feeling that as a member of the group, I feel that my authentic self is honored, respected, and I belong in this workspace. And, and that's also, and that's, that's, like I said, fairly new, but it's asking those folks, are you being respected? Is your authenticity valued here? And if they're saying yes, then, then that's a great organization that's truly thinking about inclusivity. So measuring that, well, first of all, I love that analogy, you know, being invited to the dance and being asked to dance is a different one. And then really just feeling comfortable, like I am part of this organization and and having that ownership. How is it is it measurable to those different stages? Like how do you evaluate that? Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm yeah, you know, I come from a change management background. I was an IBMer for a couple of years, and that was kind of the work I do. And every project that we go into is all about change management. Like we, you know, the first question I, even if it's a training project, I ask the client, "So, 
how do you know this was successful? They're like, well, when we have the class done and there's 20 people going through, I'm like, no, 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 that butts and seats doesn't count. So let's talk about what metrics look like. And, and so um, with, with a, a change initiative that's talking about uh, organizational culture, you start to look at what are the key, um, key indicators of success already existing within the business. So for example, um, a lot of clients that we work with already have um, some sort of employee engagement survey or, or something where they're always taking that pulse either twice a year or once a year of the employee uh, employee base. So is there some questions or, or conversations there that I feel like I'm respected and belong or you know, as blatantly as that about the belonging or something a little bit softer? So we look at things like that first. We look at, at demographic makeup of not just the middle management kind of thing, but senior executives. You know, what, what are the demographics of those folks? And, and are you having a mix of um, ethnicities and genders and, and all the other pieces that contribute to diversity, and that's a massive telling sign. And another, and a good um, indicator is uh, marketing, marketing efforts, and, and where where both that money is going and how they're marketing. And and it could be something even as simple, uh, John, is like you know what's on their website when it when you look at the artifacts that are representing the company. Um, I was at a client, uh, well pre pre COVID, and um, I was doing a one day uh, consciously inclusive leadership workshop that we do for this client, but it was fairly new. Uh, this is actually about a year ago. And um, before the session ever started, I'm walking around the lobby and I'm looking at all the posters, which are of people who work at this global manufacturing company. And guess what I noticed as a common denominator in the four posters that were in the lobby? What do you think? Uh, my guess would be they looked all the same. They looked like they, it was assumed that they looked white and they, they assumed to have looked male. <laughs> so that was what my opening conversation point with this, this group of executives is like, what do you see here? And so those, even if it, that's truly the makeup of the organization, striving to make those artifacts more representative and inclusive, that's also a massive sign. And the last thing I would look at is policies. Um, you know, what are the organizational policies, especially in the HR kind of sector? Um, for example, if I'm really trying to be inclusive of non-binary gender, so it's not just male, female, you know, there's, it's, a, it's a spectrum. Um, what, do, what do those HR forms say? Uh, do you have policies in place that honor a single parent versus a two-parent two household? Because families are in all different shapes and sizes. And, and so those are little things that really tell uh, a tale of uh, either you're doing an awesome job or, ooh, uh, at Disney, we never said you had a problem. You had an area of opportunity. So those are the areas <laughs> of opportunities that they had. Yes, I believe in framing it is is certainly half the, half the battle there too. <laughs> it seems like there are tons of ways to look at this, um, not only on the, the areas where you can increase diversity inclusion, um, but from a hiring perspective, from a policy mm -hmm. perspective, from a marketing perspective, from a, a hierarchy perspective, yeah. and really seeing the impact of those policies and the cultural initiatives as they echo throughout the organization to really give you feedback. Not just at the end of this of the the two week class or whatever, right, saying, "Hey, right, how right, do you right. feel now?" Oh, I feel great. Yeah, the you're looking at really objectable measures. Now, when you get brought in, I imagine people have already had some awareness that hey, we need to do something about our culture. What are some of those red flags, or maybe you help to uncover those red flags, and that's why they bring you in? What are some of the red flags that organization needs to look at to identify they have a culture problem? Yeah, I think I think it's it's some of the things that we we define as success are the key indicators that they, if they're not there that, that that's a problem. Um, sometimes organizations call us in because uh, they got in trouble. Um, I don't like 
we we'll, of course will work with those folks. I mean, you know, the punitive kind of things, but we like to have our clients have a sense of awareness. We don't want to work with tick box folks are like, Ooh, our PR friends say we should, we should have, you know, blank, uh, inclusivity training, whatever that looks like. And, and, um, or, or it, it's, it's blank month, you know, it's June was pride month. Oh, it's pride month. We should do something for the gays. Yay. You know, that's, that's not really being consciously inclusive. That's, um, very superficial. And, and we, we, of course, we'll play with clients, but we'll point out the kind of the hard facts like, okay, what do you do the rest of the year for, say, the LGBTQ plus community? And, and you know, are you doing things for them? You know, what about uh, uh, our black and brown friends? You know, are you just focusing your energy on February or are you doing things throughout the year? So those are kind of some of the things. One of the other things that we try to do with, with clients, um, you know, talk about red flags, why we come in is we help them see the business case of diversity and inclusion and belonging. And, um, you know, there is tons of studies that um, focus on why being inclusive is good for business. And a lot of times I frame it up in my workshops where I say there's really three reasons why a business goes down this path. Um, because you have to, because EEOC and different laws say you have to do these things. So yeah, there's that. Um, <laughs> it's the right thing to do because, hey, if we strive to create an inclusive culture for everybody to feel that they're honored and valued, that's that's intrinsic. That's right. But now let's talk about the business case. And and I found that phrasing it that way, it, you, you now get all three people can resonate with. Um, some people are like, no, this is the right thing to do. We're there. Um, other folks are like, uh, yeah, I guess we should, but Ooh, tell me about the business part of this. And so you start to look at that idea. Um, I, there's a really cool study that just came out, um, like in 2019 where they looked at publicly traded companies and they wanted to see, um, those who have women, either CEOs or CFOs and, and, and then look at the profitability of those publicly traded companies to see does having a woman in in those positions of power impact the bottom line? And what they found, of course, was that yes, of course it does. Uh, over the 17-year um, study uh, from the Russell 3000, uh, so companies were part of that that particular index. Um, there was like 6,000 changes and moves, and of those, 600 were women, and they were all more profitable than than the others, which I just think is fascinating. And so you start citing studies like this that show how being inclusive matters to the bottom line. And then people really start to think about it and listen a little bit differently. You're speaking their language. And and even if they don't have that buy-in, they can at least buy in on some can, obviously. Some do because obviously you said the three levels you're required to, okay? And it's the right thing to do. And number three, you're actually going to be better off. You're better off. And and I think that's true not only from uh, a marketing and sales perspective, but also a quality of life perspective for the employees, including engagement. How have you found that you know diversity, inclusion, like we said, and, and that belongingness, how has that improved employee engagement, which is obviously a huge factor in retention and talent, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah and, and you're spot on, John. It's it's huge. Um, when people feel that they're respected and valued and honored in the workplace, that their opinion matters, that their difference matters, and is and, and you're actively contributing to the business, people want to stay. People want to want to hang out. People um, when it, when it's fair for you know the other, and again you can interpret the other being whomever. Um, you know, that feels good, even if it's not me and my demographic, uh, even if I'm in the minority or majority for XYZ, you know, situation, I see my business be more inclusive and that actually feels good to me. 
And so people stay around. People want to be part of that business. People um, have alignment between the organizational values and their own personal values. And when that happens, you get more work out of people. So it's it's just, you know, all around, it's a smart thing to do for folks. And even if you're a small business owner, even if you're a, an entrepreneur or a solopreneur, thinking about your personal values and alignment to your organizational values, you still have to do that because if they're misaligned, you're not going to be as successful as as you could be, and you're not going to be as happy as you could be as well. Would the first step then doing an introspective be doing an introspective look and, and examining um, your unconscious biases? And yeah, where where does one go? How do you, how do you even start that that journey? <laughs> Yeah, uh, unconscious bias. So years ago when I started teaching unconscious bias, especially in the workplace, I remember uh, I was doing a workshop and this gentleman sat in the back and um, a lot of the people in the room were voluntold (laughs) to be there. They didn't go voluntarily. So I remember this gentleman sitting in the back, just folded his arms. He's like, well, if it's unconscious, I can't do anything about it. And he just checked out. I was like, oh, you can. So I actually started using the phrase being consciously inclusive. Um, because it kind of takes takes it in a more active approach, you know, kind of to contradict this particular uh, participant. I'll put in bunny ears um, for that that workshop. But one of the things that we, we do with our workshops at Top Dog is um, look at uh, starting with project implicit, and and so there is there's studies out there about being able to quote unquote measure your own particular unconscious bias. So if you go to uh, Harvard.edu forward slash implicit. Uh, and implicit bias is the same as hidden bias, is the same as unconscious bias. They're all the same words. Um, but uh, a bunch of researchers uh, many years ago got together and said, can we measure or, or try to measure unconscious bias in a human? And that's what Project Implicit set out to do. And it still runs to this day. It's free online assessments you can take. Uh, and the way it works is they started measuring um, latency in your responses on a keyboard. So you go through a couple rounds of, of uh, questions. And so, for example, um, if I'm trying to see if I have an unconscious bias for women in the sciences, uh, because that's something that's sadly pervasive in our, our society, but do I personally have that bias? So I might take that assessment and um, it gives you a bunch of words and you, you use your fingers on a keyboard. And, and when there's a word in the middle of the screen, if it, you associate that word with male, um, you hit like a D key, you associate with female, you hit a K key. And so you're doing these words and kind of classifying them very quickly. And it goes through several rounds. And then the last round, it's it's two classifications. It's either the word in the middle will be uh, either female or science related. You know, they don't have to be together or male or liberal arts. And so what, what's happening is from round one to round four, um, if, you, if you just hesitate just that one split second, that's your conscious and unconscious mind's fighting. And so that's where they start to measure that that millisecond. It's not saying you do have a bias if that's you know, particularly what pops up, but that you could have it. And it's just basically bringing that that heightened sense of awareness. And I think that's absolutely the best place to start. It's absolutely free. I get no kickback. It's not related to me at all. <laughs> um, but I use it in my workshops just just as a way to start the conversation because we can debias ourselves. But it starts with that awareness. So it sounds like that uh, assessment really begins with a baseline. Right of how quickly you respond, and then any changes is going to show that there's some type of um, dissonance inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good work. The extent work. of that we don't really know. We have to look at that and unpack that at, at that point in time. So let's say that we identify that there are some unconscious biases, and and I look at behaviorally, marketing wise, hierarchy in the organization. Wow, we are not diverse. We are not inclusive. Yeah. You know, do I start within? Do I start policy wise? Where where do we go from here? 
So it starts with that awareness and that acknowledgement that, you know, if you are breathing, you have bias. <laughs> so, um, you know, the question is, it, it, it's, I'm not biased. No, you are, you're human, but it's which biases do you have? So it kind of starts there. And I think it's a two-pronged approach with my own self-awareness, which biases I, uh, unconscious biases I may have, but then looking at the organizational structure and what that means to be a more inclusive organization. So, you know, having that conversation with those senior leaders, uh, studies show, um, I'm a, a pro-size certified person, if you're not familiar with that, it's, it's just one of like a gazillion change management models out there. Um, but most of them are, are pretty consistent in their approach. And with the ProSci methodology, one of the things that they've shown in their research time and time and time and time and time again, is that change initiatives fail in organizations if the senior leadership is not perceived to be behind it. Um, so you kind of start there first. You have that senior executive buy-in. And, and, and it's not just the buy-in that like, yeah, that's a good idea. Here's a check. No, you have to be actively engaged in, in moving this initiative, in this case, being more consciously inclusive as a business. So once you kind of have that conversation and they say, yeah, this isn't just the HR flavor of the month. This is going to be an organizational initiative because it hits our bottom line better. It is better for retention and all those things in the business case we talked about earlier. So then once that's there, then it's having that um, that that strategic applied approach to make this part of the business. You know, How do you weave inclusivity into the everyday policies and procedures that make up the business? Are they part of the organization's values already? Are they in the vi vision and mission already? And so you start to make sure that it, it's not just this, here's a one hour class we're going to do for our lunch and learn. It's really a pervasive part of the organizational culture. And that's how you start to have that, that tipping point, if you will. And that's why you had that conversation up front. It's like, this can't just be a one-time thing. we got to make this, how do we do this the rest of the year when it's not just yes. Pride Month? Exactly. Otherwise, it's exactly. like a, a Band-Aid on a broken bone. It's not going to really, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> really exactly. fix the issue. So exactly. one mistake that, that leaders make is not being fully engaged. And how you're to talk about that is really not only just in writing the check, signing up for <laughs> working with you or something like that, but really from their communication from top yeah. down, yeah. explain to people why consistently and throughout all time. Are there any other mistakes that, that you, you've seen leaders do that undoes potentially all the progress that they're making throughout the organization? The, one of the biggest things, so so aside from leaders saying, of course we're inclusive, we have blank month, that's a, a big one. <laughs> but the other one is, um, and, th and this is for every leader, and in, in my book, Pride Leadership, in the workshops I do with clients, um, the most the biggest way to shoot yourself in the foot as a leader is to engage in what's called silent collusion. And that's where, um, so I'll tell a quick story. So I was in Atlanta and, uh, and one, me and one of my top doggers, which is what I call my consultants, uh, Lori. And uh, Lori and I are sitting there and around this boardroom table, uh, we're closing out a, a client project we were doing for several months. And you know, it's all, everyone else in there is uh, this company. At the very head of the table is uh, the senior executive, and, and and he's male, and that's important to the story. And he's having a chat with somebody else. And just as the meeting's about to start, you hear, you know how sometimes you're in a meeting and you don't realize how loud you are because everyone stops talking at the same time. That's kind of what that's kind of what happened here. And you hear the senior executive say, "Well, you know how all women drive," and everyone just kind of stopped and looked at him, but no one said a word at that one moment in time. And and so. At that moment, 
we, everybody in that room, was engaging in what's called silent collusion. We were silently supporting or, or approving that statement by not saying anything against it uh, or making it known that we didn't agree with it. And so I've seen leaders totally undermine their own credibility by engaging in silent collusion in the workplace. And and that's not easy to do. So, um, you know, it can sound like a, a bunch of different ways. In, in my book, Pride Leadership, I actually talk about um, the six strategies that I've developed, which is called MOPSAM. Um, and I use this really cheeky, dumb story where it's, it's you know, if you look at this, um, there's a type of dog called a Hungarian pulley mop. It looks like if you if you stick a stick on, on his back, you could scrub your floors with that kind of dog. You might have seen those before, like sure, little dreadlocks. Yeah. yeah. So it's called uh, called a mop dog, and then I named him Sam. And so uh, it's it's this is the educator of twenty five years of me mnemonic kind of device. I'm with you. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So so the mop Sam is actually the six steps that you can do to to combat silent collusion in the workplace in that moment. It's everything from um, pointing out um, you know the stereotypes like um, Bob. We'll pretend Bob is the executive. You know what did you mean? By that, and yeah, of course, each one has their own pros and cons. Like that one with the ask, we call it. Um, it's the the A and Sam, if you will. Um, it can be really touchy the way I ask that. Like Bob, what did you mean by that? Versus Bob, what did you mean by that? Yeah, same words, very different meaning in both those those sentences. So, but that's that's one opportunity. Um, what happened in this in this uh, scenario I was sharing was. No one said a word. I'm about to, because this is my jam, and I even if with a client, Lori kicks me under the table and she goes, wait. <laughs> and I'm so glad she did this. So I didn't say a word, but luckily I didn't because what seemed like 20 minutes later, but it wasn't, um, there was a gentleman, he wasn't even at the table. He was like younger uh, with the business. Uh, he might've even just like graduated from college or B school or whatever, but he was sitting not at the table, but like the chair row behind, like against the wall. And all you heard him say, he folded his arms. He just went, "Damn!" And and, and it, it said, and, and that's actually the um, the the S in in Mop Sam is say a non-word that indicates at least you don't agree with it. And so that's what he was doing. Uh, he didn't know Mop Sam, but he was just you know doing that 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 refuting of the statement. And what it did is it was two things. It showed everybody in the room that he did not agree with that statement. And then it actually started the floodgates. People were like, yeah, Bob, what did you mean by that? Or Bob, you, you we drove with Juanita of, to lunch the other day, and she was a very good driver. So that's a, a specific you point out. And so it kind of Bob, oh, I didn't mean it, blah, 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 blah. But just that one thing really started the conversation of like, yeah, what's going on here, Bob? And that's one, if, if your listeners are falling asleep, that's that's the golden advice I would share is don't engage in silent collusion because a couple of things happen. You erode your own credibility as a defender of the other. Uh, people look at you and say, wow, well, that wasn't about me. Let's say in this case, you know, I'm male. Bob wasn't being a jerk about male driving. But what happens when Bob does say something against, you know, for me, I'm gay, against gay people. Will you, leader, defend me then? And so people start thinking, because us leaders are always on stage. We are always in the spotlight and people are always watching. And I think that's that's the other thing. And But on the opposite side, if you do engage in mitigating silent collusion, using MOPSAM or whatever, you build trust with people because they see you as the defender of the otherness of being inclusive. And that, that just adds street cred to your uh, leadership uh, bank account, if you will. Wow. What, what a great story on multiple levels. And I'm so glad that you got to wait and pause and see what's <laughs> going to happen and allow that dynamic to unfold. What a cool, organic thing to see. Yeah. And, and hopefully Bob got the beginning of self-awareness. 
I think he did. And he's okay. oh, I didn't mean it. And, and, and he, it was, it was that unconscious bias bubbling up into, uh, you know, we call it a microaggression or micro inequity. Um, in this case, him being sexist and didn't realize it, but now he had a blip of an awareness and hopefully I haven't talked to Bob in a while, but uh, hopefully he's on that path to, to be a little less or a little more sensitive to, to those types of situations. And regardless of Bob's path, everyone in that room has a new trajectory as well because yeah. of what happened that moment. That's really, really cool. I love the mop, Sam, and thanks for the visual. It's so easy to remember, and I'm so excited to pick up what the other ones are. I've got a couple <laughs> there right there. No, but th- that's different. The mop, Sam strategies are, are kind of conversational uh, mm-hmm. strategies to address those microaggressions, the biases, and things that can occur. Um, but that's different than what you teach about with the six core competencies for, for leaders. Is that true? Uh, it's actually woven in. Um, I, I actually stole Mop Sam. I've, I've been using Mop Sam. I actually wove it into my book, Pride Leadership. Um, so in, in Pride Leadership, we talk about, I have a visual, even though you're, we're on audio, just because I, it's my mouse pad. So it's, just, it's my, my, my swag. Um, but when I was starting the book, um, very quick story. Um, you know, I was trying to, I was going to write a quote unquote generic leadership book. And you know, I've been in this space for 25 plus years. You see what works, what doesn't kind of same, same as you. And, um, so I, I remember I had one of my best friends who was an OD consultant, um, came over, bribed him with some wine. I'm like, you need to help me think this through as an extrovert. I need help. He's like, got it. So we just all in my, I'm doing this cause I'm in my office where we did this and we just got out post notes and wrote, what are the, the competencies that we see leaders who are just crushing it, rocking and rolling? What do they got? And we came up with like 28 different competencies. And we're like, I'm like, okay, that's way too big of a book. <laughs> so we kind of started to pare it down and look at things. And then it was about that time when, um, I was also doing a lot of volunteer work, especially for LGBTQ plus community. And I say plus, not plus, because I lived in France and it just sounds cooler, just so you know. Um, but it means plus. I, w- um, I was wondering about that because uh, I never heard it said like that. Yeah, so there you go. Okay. And I throw off like like people who are members of my community. They're like, what'd you say? I'm like, plus, <laughs> it's cooler than plus. Shut up. They're like, okay, got it. So, it kind of rhymes uh, too, which is cool. It, it, yeah. It's rhythmic. Yeah, I write, yeah. write that in the book. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I was doing all this work and I'm watching all of these, you know, general term gay leaders. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, and it's like, if anyone here has ever watched Sex in the City, Carrie Bradshaw, I couldn't help but wonder, you know, I'm, that's kind of where I'm channeling. Um, I know that's so gay, but anyway, uh, <laughs> I was like sitting there thinking, I, I wonder if my queer leaders that I'm watching had some opportunity to flex their leadership muscles a little bit differently than my straight brothers and sisters. And that kind of was the pivot point for uh, what became Pride Leadership. And so I came up, I whittled it down to six, um, and they are uh, authenticity, courage, empathy, uh, communications, relationships, and culture. And so what I hypothesize in the book is, one, these are competencies that every leader really should be rocking and rolling. I don't care, gay, straight, you know, whatever. Um, but... I argue that uh, authenticity, for example, well, as somebody who's a member of the LGBTQ plus community, you know, that you have an opportunity to be your authentic self a little bit differently in the workplace than your straight brothers and sisters. So as a gay man, um, I constantly am coming out, uh, being my authentic self, whether I'm, it's a new client, I'm doing a, a workshop with 40 people, you know, somewhere through that conversation, I have the opportunity to share my authentic self or not. Uh, but if you look at the broader research about authenticity, everyone's like, yes, if you're an authentic leader, you build trust, you build rapport, blah, blah, blah. And so in Pride Leadership, I talk about 
hey, you know, queer person and allies as well. I, my allies love the book because it's all bad dad jokes in a good way. Um, but it's also the actionable stuff that you can do and apply immediately to your leadership success. So we talk about how do you build, make your authenticity even more um, in the workplace and, and how do you do that? And there's a lot of reflection uh, in the book as well. Um, the book led to a workbook, uh, which also led to an eight-week online class that we do. Um, and the whole idea is just to beef up these six competencies so that you're even more effective uh, in the workplace than you were before. Fantastic. You know, I never, um, and, and this might be part of the straight male, white male privilege, is, is considering that need to have to come out on a, on a regular basis. It sounds like every time you're in a new organization, uh, a new project that you're working on, that that's part of what you have to go through. <laughs> They're like, oh, a wedding ring. What's your wife do? It's like, okay. And then uh, I, I have a decision yeah. at that point. It happens all the time and that's fine. But you have that, a teachable moment at that, you know, it's, it is the mop Sam kind of opportunity as well. I can either say, oh, well, she does this and, and sidestep the conversation or, and, and dishonor my you know relationship with my husband of 22 years, or to say, oh, well, he does this and use it as a teachable moment. You could probably guess which route I go. <laughs> yeah. Not obvious, but yeah. And, and but that's that's constant. That's constant. That's constant for, for members of my community. And um, you know, and you weave that and the thing that, that's interesting about the six competencies I talk about, they're not siloed, you know, because in that moment I'm being authentic, but I'm also summoning up my leadership courage. I'm also um, engaging in empathy with that person. I'm I'm using effective communication strategies to engage them and have that dialogue. And so, you know, I, I, I made them as chapters and it was kind of a Sophie's choice, if you're all familiar with that, that phrase. Um, you know, they are so intertwined beautifully, but I, I you know, address them specifically in the book. So who, who should read Pride Leader, Leadership? Uh, oh, great question. Um, you know, initially I said I wrote it for uh, members of the LGBTQ community, but and that was where I wrote the first draft. And but my editor, um, I remember she, you know, of course, the second person in the universe to read my book. And we were having the first meeting. And so I'm in a coffee shop in downtown Orlando when we could do that and be in coffee shops. And um, I had my date with Heather, the editor. And uh, she calls me, and I'm like nervous. I'm like a school kid, like going to the principal's office. I'm like, oh. And um, she's like, okay, Steve, are you sitting down? I'm like, yes, I have my coffee. She's like, okay. I am a white, cisgendered, straight woman. I am not your target audience. This is the book I wanted in my MBA program when we talked about leadership. I'm like, whoa, tell me why. And, and so she talked about, it's very research. I didn't invent these concepts. You know, um, Some of the top researchers I, I cite in there because they're doing awesome work, but it's through my lens and it's, you know, I'm an academic. I have a doctorate. I've written that damn term paper thing. I've written lots of journal articles. I hate writing like an academic. I think it's it's, it's, there's good stuff, but you throw off people because they don't want to consume it. So I put on my marketer and edutainment hat and, um, there's lots of good dad jokes in here. Um, good and bad. There's lots of, lots of uh, queer humor that even straight folks will get. Like when, when I have a chapter subtitle called Tor storytelling, like Tori spelling, um, you know, people laugh and like, okay, that's, that's GG funny. Um, or when I'm talking about mentorship, um, you know, e either you're go find your RuPaul or you need to gay it forward, depending 
depending on where you're approaching your leadership awesomeness. So I do cheeky things like that. And my ally friends all get it. Um, the audiobook has been fun. Uh, we just launched the audiobook a couple weeks ago. And um, and I did it in my voice um, for a couple reasons. But um, people were just like, yeah, no one else can do the dad jokes like you. I'm like, yes. So uh, totally. I, really, I really think it's anybody who wants to be even more awesome in their leadership, especially around these six competencies, will we'll get value out of the book. Yeah, I would absolutely want you to read it. I think it would be a lot of, a lot of fun because it's different, especially with your inflection and, and your impassion that you have around that as well. So, can, Ryan, can I tell you a quick story about the audiobook? Oh, John, I'm sorry, that's looking your last So, I was, I was, you know, my publisher said you do the audiobook um, like the year of the original book. It's like a, you know, kind of pushes it, makes it more timely, all that good stuff. So that was always my goal was, you know, Pride Leadership came out at just about a year ago and it came out huh, in June. Um, <laughs> that totally pun intended. Uh, see, bad dad jokes. Um, but uh, so, you know, I was working and this was in February. I started working with an audio producer and we were having the conversations and it's right when COVID was kind of hitting. And so the way an audio book works now is you, know, you get online, the, the uh, engineer and then myself, and you know, I have the fancy mic and I can kind of do that. And um, so we started doing it, but there was so much internet traffic and sound files are very sensitive to traffic that it kept dropping like words here and there. And so we tried a couple of times and he's like, you're going to have to do it on your own. I know you have the skill. I already had the software. And so he's like, you just find a quiet place in your, your house and you do it. I'm like, okay. So of course the quietest place in my house to read a book to myself for 65 plus hours is the closet. And so I jokingly said that I read my gay leadership book for 65 plus hours in the closet. And so that's just a really awesome anecdote. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I've recorded audio programs in the closet as well. <laughs> See? And, and every person I talk to who, who's done this before, they're like, oh yeah, closet's the best place. Oh, it absorbs all of the sound. It, it sounds like a studio. It's amazing. <laughs> it's yeah. so true. That is hilarious. Awesome. So conversations as far as, you know, the, the mop, Sam, and, and really yeah. – you're creating conversations all the time, the organizations that you work with. Yeah. What are some of the more difficult conversations that you feel leaders have to have around this whole theme? Um, you know, I think it's – so MopSAM is, is, is a perfect start and it's a way to, to start those conversations when people are engaging in those microaggressions, micro inequities, and, and maybe on that unconscious level. So, so that would be the starting place. And I think usually one of the bigger ways that people don't realize they're showing their bias – um, and, and maybe in a, a hurtful or harmful way. So that's kind of, I think, one of the biggest um, one of the biggest challenges. The other is 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 when you talk about change overall and managing change is is helping people understand why the change is happening. So whether it be, you know, why are we re-looking at our policies and procedures to be more inclusive? Or why are we as a business engaging in Black Lives Matter support and what that looks like? So sometimes those are the more com difficult conversations for a leader to have because what they're, what they're maybe doing is again, combating that unconscious or that implicit bias that someone might have where they're not seeing the need for this business action or this business support or whatever that looks like. And, and you have the three levels you talked about earlier, right? It's it's required. Uh, it's actually the right thing to do. And also it's going to affect our bottom line, which means more opportunities for everyone here. We can have more impact. And and so you sell that concept at the top. And it's going to trickle down and get more buy-in throughout that. And hopefully they can see the benefits for everyone. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Super, super exciting. So is there any advice you have for someone who's, and maybe there's some specific advice, who's in an organization where 
there's not a lot of diversity and inclusion. And is it, I need to just get a different environment? Do I try to change that organization? <laughs> John, it's a great question. Um, oddly enough, I actually do address it in, in Pride Leadership. And, and for the listeners, that wasn't planned of question, by the way. So that's just very serendipitous. Sure. Um, but, but uh, you know, I, I talk about that because I think there, as, as someone who, who does social justice as a broad term for everything that I do, that takes a toll. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I know my black and brown friends have been like, see, we've been doing this stuff for years and, and yeah, it gets exhausting. And I'm like, I just have the minor blip of having to say, do I have a husband or wife? And that gets exhausting. I, I did a podcast, um, yesterday and the gentleman was, he's like, do you really think gay leaders are different than street leaders? I'm like, hell yes, they are because our experience is different. And that brings a different lens to the table. And so, you know, that kind of stuff does get old after a while and having those conversations. So in, in pride leadership, I talk about you as an individual leader need to kind of First, analyze the, the culture and the environment. And, and we've talked about some of those things, looking at the policies, the artifacts, makeup of the senior leaders. You, you gather all that data. And then you say, okay, if your, your goal is to make this uh, business, this workplace more inclusive, what's it going to take to change those things? You know, Where are you at? Just like any other strategic project, where are you at? Where do you want to be? And what effort and initiative and resources need to make that happen? And then you think internally and you say, okay, well, that's going to take a lot of effort. Do you have the bandwidth? Do you have the gumption? Do you have whatever insert word here to help facilitate that change? And if you do Get ready to fight, roll up your sleeves, get the resources, and have those tough conversations that we just talked about. But if you say, you know what, I'm maybe not in a good place right now. Maybe I'm going through a lot of other changes. Then there's uh, an opportunity to have a conversation with yourself. And is is this the right organization to be aligned with? Is um, your personal values in line with not only just the stated values of the business, because usually those are nice and fluffy, and but are they the real values of the business? Because that sometimes is very misaligned than what's on the website or in the break room or whatever. And so you, know, you, you have to do this internal reflection and decide that, you know what? Yeah, it is worth the fight. And then carry on, soldier. Um, or, you know what? Maybe it's time I do find another workplace that is more aligned with my personal values and will honor and respect my feeling of belonging in that workplace. And, and so those are the, like the, the thought processes I would recommend someone have if they're in a situation where it's not as inclusive as they'd like it to be. Very practical makes a lot of sense looking at all of those factors. Is there any one thing that you want the leaders who are listening mm -hmm. in any demographic to really understand and think about as they build diversity and inclusion? I, I think in a um, workforce? two of the competencies, so all, all the competencies I think are awesome that I talk about in pride leadership. Um, the two though, that especially in this moment now that I'm seeing be really super important for leaders who want to be successful, and I hope that's everybody listening, um, should really think about a little bit more strategically. And that's having empathy and, and uh, communication, but more about communication, it's about listening. And so in Pride Leadership, I talk about you know different strategies to be a better communicator, but one I really harp on is the listening pit thing. Stephen Covey has a great quote that he says, you know, um, to suit a paraphrase, we, we tend to listen to respond versus listen to understand. Uh, meaning that, you know, someone's like sharing, you know, John's like, oh, you know, this is what happened to me today. And this is the problem I have. And I might be listening for my time to jump in and say, well, did you do this? You know, that's listening to respond. 
where a, a better way is to, you know, and, and you're a coach, you know, these questions, you know, well, tell me more about that. You start explaining, you know, you, you use those probing questions or open-ended questions in a very strategic way, but then you listen for the responses and you're listening with a very intentional, I want to understand your perspective. And that kind of ties right back with that empathy, especially for those people who are different than us. We want to be mindful of their experience. Um, you know, I, I If someone tells me uh, or uses some sort of phrase around me about, oh, it's the race card, I'm going to slug them because that's, that's such a silly thing to say. Or if someone says, all lives matter, that's not the point. And, and you know, we stop, take a breath and ask yourself or ask someone of color, why are we saying Black Lives Matter? Why are we uh, being more empathetic to understand the trans community, for example? And, and just stopping, getting out of our own head, having a heart and asking questions and then stopping and listening. That's gold, especially in this time and age right now. Would you say that it's hard to be empathetic if you don't listen. Like it's almost a prerequisite. <laughs> exactly. That, that's a great point. Yeah. If, if you're, yeah, empathy is about listening and, and, and really trying to understand the other person's perspective, especially that emotional perspective. Awesome. Dr. Steve, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom and your humor and your energy. What's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you and uh, stay connected? Yeah, this was great, John. I really, really appreciate it. Um, if you go to topdoglearning.biz, B-I-Z, that's our main page, and you can hub from there to go to thegayleadershipdude.com and some of the other things that we have out there. Um, we're actually doing a um, free plus shipping for Pride Leadership, so you can actually get the book for free, just pay for the shipping and handling. Uh, we've been doing that since um, middle COVID just because I have like 300 books sitting under my desk, and I'm happy to just get them out there because people can <laughs> do their thing. So if you go to – we have a, a short bit.ly if, you, if you're interested in that. It's um, – you know, just go to topdog.click forward slash free ship and that it's, it'll redirect you to the space you need to go. Um, or you can also find it on amazon.com as well, but awesome. it's better I'll, for me. I'll put all that in the show notes so people can click on that. And again, so, thank you so much. Thank you. This is great. To connect with Steve, go ahead and visit topdoglearning.biz. And to pick up one of his books, Pride Leadership, visit topdog.click slash free ship. Until next time, Develop yourself, empower others, and lead by example. Thanks for listening to Key Conversations for Leaders with your host, John Ryan. If you enjoyed the show, please let us know. Give us a rating or write a review. If you have a question, send me an email, john at keyconvo.com. And if you haven't already, you can connect with me on Twitter at keyconvo or on LinkedIn under John Ryan Leadership.